Bol.com is the biggest e-commerce company in the Netherlands and Belgium. For 20 years, Bol has been developing its software architecture, which includes a variety of services and databases, and a mix of physical and cloud infrastructure. For an e-commerce company, the search engine is critical for allowing customers to find the products that they are looking for. Search also has many applications for internal systems. A search engine is a database with a query engine, and internal application developers want to build on top of that database. Volkan Yaziki is an engineer at Bol.com specializing in search, and he's the author of the blog post Using Elasticsearch as the Primary Data Store. In his post, Volkan describes the process of scaling Elasticsearch to fit the use cases of both internal and external users at a large e-commerce company. This article was tremendously insightful and quite long. It's long but detailed, and it's also indexed quite well. So it reads kind of like a small book. It's a story of how Elasticsearch has been scaled at a large e-commerce company, and I think it is is quite useful for anybody who is deep in the weeds of an Elasticsearch deployment or who's just getting acquainted with software architecture. Vulcan joins the show to discuss how search infrastructure at scale can require a carefully architected data pipeline in order to propagate changes to a large data set that needs to be indexed within search. This is a complex problem, and Vulcan is able to explain it in elegant and simple terms. We're having a few events in the near future. On April 3rd, we're having a meetup at Cloudflare. You can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash meetup to check that out and sign up before we run out of seats. Hasib Qureshi is joining me for a conversation about the world of investing, cryptocurrencies, engineering. He's a cryptocurrency investor and has been on the show several times. In the past, he was an engineer at Airbnb and a professional poker player before that. So it's going to be a great meetup, and I hope to see you there. Also, we're having an in-person hackathon on April 6th at App Academy. It's a hackathon for the company I'm working on called Find Collabs. And if you have a project you're working on, whether an open source project or a art project, a music project, Find Collabs is a place to find collaborators for your projects. And most people would rather be working with other people rather than just in isolation. Find Collabs is a great place to find people to work on your projects with or to join other people in their projects. So you can enter into that hackathon by going to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon and signing up for the in-person event. But it's also a virtual hackathon, so anybody across the world who wants to enter this hackathon can compete for the $5,000 prize purse of the coolest projects being made. If you're interested, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon and I hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Volkan Yazizi, you are an engineer at bol.com. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thanks for having me for here. I'm excited to talk to you about a blog post you wrote about using Elasticsearch in a creative way. 
But first, let's set some context for where you work and the scale of the applications that you work on. So you work at Bol.com, which is the biggest e-commerce company in the Netherlands and Belgium. What do you work on at Bol? I like to call myself as Java Shepherd in the fleet of search. So I've been working close to uh, five years at Bol.com. And uh, during that time, I've been involved in many aspects of the search, from building the search engine itself and also helping with the development of the ETL pipeline. So basically that, I would say. Bull has been around for almost 20 years. Describe the backend infrastructure. As you can imagine, it evolved from a monolithic architecture that used to be just a single Java application running on a single Oracle database. But over the time, due to the humongous growth that company experienced, they also migrated to a microservice architecture. I think this had happened in the, in the past decade. So we have something like our own internal AWS. It is partly on our premises, so in our data centers, and it's partly running on a Google Cloud. But what we are basically like, we can spin up easily new services uh, in a matter of minutes and start uh, deploying our applications that are facing with the customers. Many people actually tend to ask about, hey, what kind of languages are you using or what kind of databases are you using? But like this is a really West ecosystem. I think we have close to 500 developers and I suppose like almost 100 of them are uh, what you can call DevOps. So they provide us certain facilities for the platform. So any language that you can imagine, but mostly we are a Java shop and we are also using plenty of storage solutions. So uh, depending on the need, but, but we are trying to stick to the most cutting edge technology as much as possible. And I personally also really enjoy that. Are there any internal rules around when you can use cloud services, when you have to use open source, when you have to use the on-prem infrastructure, or can people do what they want when they want? Exactly. That is indeed the case. Like we have a scrum setting within the company, at least in the case of IT. So each scrum team has the responsibility of their own services. So if there is enough, let's say like you're just about to try Rust in a new microservice, and if the platform is supported by that, what, I, what do I mean is like you need to integrate with the metrics, with the logging, with the health checks and so on. Uh, also the alerts that uh, wakes up SREs at, in the middle of the night. Uh, so if everything is totally fine, then it's up to the team to decide on the technology that they want to use. What are some of the pain points of the legacy infrastructure that, that have cropped up in the last 20 years? I don't know it is exactly a pain point, but like I would say the most dangerous thing with the legacy, it works and it makes money. So so you can't just get rid of it in a blink of an eye. So let's say you're about to build a new search engine, all right? Building in a new search engine and migrating your legacy search engine to a new search engine is totally two different beasts like this. The transition period, like you need to take that in stages. Also, you need to employ A-B tests along the path. You need to check and evaluate the success of the new engine, like the conversion rate, latency, throughput, like is the, is the indexing keeping up with the data. And since this is something new, you are also experimenting with the technologies as well. And most of the time, you don't know whether they would stand against the scale that you had in your mind. Um, I think Elasticsearch is a really good example of that. Maybe not anymore, but like a couple of years ago, when you would speak with people and tell them, hey, are you using Elastic? They would definitely tell you yes. 
but if you would ask them what is the size of your index and how often are you updating it you get like uh, various answers but most of the time not in the scale that you had in your mind if you're working at bob.com let's talk about search as a general application type so in an e-commerce application like ball there are a gigantic number of entities that you want to search over you could have customers you could have products you could have maybe categories that you would want to search over and at Bowl, search applications are useful both to external customers who are searching for products, but also to internal developers. Describe some of the use cases for search, broadly speaking. First, let me get it straight. Like what you said is right. There are many entities that you can integrate into a search engine and serve them to the rest of the ecosystem so they can facilitate that. But at Bowl.com, uh, the main search engine uh, its main focus is just a product search, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have been like we are being used just by the customers. I think half of the ecosystem also depends on the product search. One of the basic examples that I can give is like uh, the data science team. They want to correlate the traffic of the customers and the conversion of the products conversion rate, which I generally use for like if a customer, let's say a customer is browsing to a certain product page, but are they buying it or not? Or a customer is getting interacted with certain facets. Maybe they are using brand, maybe they are using color, but at the end of the day, are they buying that product? Or is it helping them to find some other product category that they weren't initially aware of? So data science teams, also needs to get integrated with the search engine to correlate the traffic metrics with the certain entities. Um, that's one part of it. And in addition to that, we have different services for serving to desktop customers and mobile customers. Let me think a little bit more about it. Also like live chat system. This is one of the systems that we also support. If it, like There is also like a smart, intelligent engine going on there and trying to semantically analyze the text that is being typed uh, by the customer and trying to correlate that with a certain product or, or with a certain order. And like these are uh, one of many things that we try to facilitate in the search fleet. You use Elasticsearch. We've done a show or two on Elasticsearch, but I'd like you to describe what Elasticsearch is in your own words. I think in 2019, if you want to build a search engine, no matter which expert that you would go to, they would recommend you Elasticsearch. First of all, yes, it's like a document store. So you could have think that why not using MongoDB or just having adjacent field in a PostgreSQL. Yes, but like I think the, the, the main strength that Elasticsearch possess is its full text searching capabilities. So fuzzy searching, because at its heart, Elasticsearch is more or less like a distributed Lucene, right? So, and given, I think like Lucene is one of the most battle-tested full-text searching solutions on the entire planet and Elasticsearch is raising on its shoulders. So like more or less, it is your only viable option, like it or hate it, like Elasticsearch is dominating this market. But another aspect that I also really like in Elasticsearch is, it is like, I generally use like a couple of dimensions to describe storage solutions. Like, is it distributed? Like, is it running on multiple machines? Does it support sharding? So can you split your data into multiple machines such that you can execute your queries in parallel? And does it support implicit indices? What do I mean by this is, do you need to know the fields up ahead 
that you're about to query. And this is one of the best features that I like about Elasticsearch. You don't really care with any of these three dimensions. It is distributed out of the box. It is sharded out of the box and everything is indexed by default, like unless uh, you define your own configuration, but everything is indexed by default. So that's really handy from a development point of view. When we're talking about Elasticsearch from the point of view of a database, one way of thinking about the data that we are storing or that we're building in Elasticsearch is a search index. What is required to build a search index in Elasticsearch, and what purpose does a search index serve? Speaking of for the e-commerce, but I think basically it's like searching along the documents in addition to filters. Like, uh, for instance, in SQL, you can type where clauses that has Boolean filters. Is, is this field equal to that value? What Elasticsearch brings in addition to that in a search engine, you can also type fuzzy queries. You can combine them with certain significance. And in addition to that, you can create aggregates on the searching fields, which is also referred to as faceted searching. I think like faceted searching and fuzzy searching is the core of a search engine, I would say, in the domain of uh, e-commerce search. And these features, faceted searching and fuzzy searching, are there customizations that you would want to make to the fuzzy searching engine or the faceted searching properties of Elasticsearch? Are there are there things that you would want to specify that are domain-specific to Bull, for example, for the e-commerce applications? I think the difficult part is getting the fuzzy searching right. Let me give a basic example for that. Let's say you just uh, opened up your browser and uh, went through Bull.com and you type Harry Potter. What do you want? Do you really want Harry Potter book? Do you want a DVD? Do you want a VCD? Do you want a game? Do you want a bag for your kid with a Harry Potter picture on it? Do you want a blanket or do you want a t-shirt with Harry Potter in it? So in these circumstances, you really need to take the context into account. And context is something really dynamic along the flow of a customer's journey in your website. Like if I would have, uh, have a priory knowledge that you're interested in movies, then maybe I can prioritize the DVDs in your case. Or if I would take your last couple of searches into account, maybe I can also conclude that, hey, this guy is really looking for a blanket. Like I should just show him something for the bedroom. Not He's not really interested in the DVDs or whatsoever. So this context, like uh, analyzing that context and converting it into a query that is supposed to be executed by Elastic is quite difficult. And I think that is that is the heart of our business logic. Like when at the end of the day, right, when user types something, we are converting it just to Elasticsearch query. But the important bit is like really making the right conversion. And this, I can tell you, pretty difficult. Like it is uh, in the order of tens of thousands of lines of code just this business logic. So like coming back to your original question, yes, we need to customize Elasticsearch queries quite a lot, but it is query language is flexible enough to cover any of the cases that we can think of. So we are uh, way more satisfied with it than we initially thought. I see. So if I understand correctly, much like over time we have learned to Google in different ways when we're searching for different things, like on Google, I might search Harry Potter movies if I'm looking for Harry Potter movies, because I know that if I just search Harry Potter, it's too general for Google to deliver me the Harry Potter movies. And similarly, 
if you have a customer that comes to bowl.com and has been coming to bowl.com for 10 years and you know that they buy lots of movies on bowl.com, if they go to the bowl.com search box and enter Harry Potter, you actually have modules that sit between the bowl.com search box and the Elasticsearch query engine that might translate a query from the website search box that the user enters Harry Potter into, and you translate that query into Harry Potter movies before it hits the Elasticsearch cluster. Am I understanding you correctly? Exactly. Okay. So there's a lot of middleware that you could build in front of the Elasticsearch query engine itself in order to make it more usable for the user. And this also applies to internal users. We could talk about internal applications you could build. I guess before we talk about the the usage that you've customized your Elasticsearch application infrastructure around, let's talk a little bit more about Elasticsearch. So if you have a gigantic e-commerce application like Bowl, do you have to do any customization to scale an Elasticsearch cluster or is it is it easy to scale? It is easy, easy to scale once you get the configuration right. But that, that's, I would say, quite a voodoo thing. Like it requires quite a lot of experimentation. Um, for instance, optimizing Elasticsearch for indexing performance is different than optimizing Elasticsearch for search latency. I can give a more concrete example for this. Time to time, we need to create our indices from scratch. And this is a process that can take up to hours. So in such cases, we have a special set of Elasticsearch configurations. So we create an index, load that configuration, which solely optimizes the indexing speed. It doesn't even care about the query performance at all. Then we started indexing. And then we also deploy post-configuration to turn that index into one that can also cover query latency requirements as well. And this is also another operation that is taking some time. If I would speak more technically, like there is the segmentation issue with Elasticsearch. So like while bulk indexing an index from scratch, uh, it creates quite some segments and you better weight them at the end of the index operation to get merged by Elasticsearch. Unfortunately, not all of these operations are under your control, so you can't really have an influence of all of these operations. If you would search for Elasticsearch segmentation problem or Elasticsearch increasing merge count, you would find like hundreds of blog posts mentioning about this problem, and they're also giving away their own custom solutions. But like, and another trouble is Elasticsearch is evolving so fast. Like what we say problem today, might have been sold in the next release that is coming in the next month. But it doesn't mean that your troubles are over. Maybe it brought something new that you weren't aware of. So it is constantly changing and you need to adapt to them. So you need to keep an eye on your regular performance. So you have a certain expectation about how long an index should take, what is the upper bound for a query latency, what is the throughput, uh, upper bound for the throughput and so on. So if you see fluctuations on these, by the way, these fluctuations doesn't necessarily need to be su- need to surface with just the Elasticsearch version upgrade. Maybe you change your infrastructure, like you increase the number of data nodes or the client nodes, or you added a one new physical node, or you increase the RAM, or you decrease the CPU count per node, but you increase the size of the cluster in terms of nodes. So like you need to have a couple of stickies on your monitor 
and you need to make sure almost every day that like today we are doing fine of course there are like alerts in place that starts turning on the lights if something goes way off but uh, most of the time we try to keep an eye on them you wrote an article called elasticsearch is the primary data store explain that title and what you were trying to accomplish with this article. What do you mean by primary data store? Let me start with why that article, at least for me, was exciting. For instance, we have been talking about Elasticsearch for minutes, but we solely focused on its full-text searching capabilities, like how would you purpose Elasticsearch to build an e-commerce search engine and so on. And no one that much really attempts to use Elasticsearch as a database. I think the main reason for this is Elasticsearch was never eager on claiming itself as a persistent storage engine. Like they were, they have a really market focus on fuzzy search, I would say. But in our experience, uh, we also figured out Elasticsearch is really handy when it comes to implicit indices. Like every field is indexed by default. And like this is like a heaven from an application developer's point of view. Like long story short, it is not a recommended practice to use Elasticsearch as a primary data store. What do I mean by that is like the main source of your data. You don't have a backup or whatsoever. Like you don't have an RDBMS backing up Elasticsearch, just Elasticsearch itself. So it it is not really a recommended practice. But in the design of the new ETL layer, we figured that it like we can still purpose Elasticsearch and it can ease the implementation a lot. And given our experience with Elasticsearch in the last half a decade, we thought it is like the way to go. So in this this idea that you're presenting of using Elasticsearch as a primary data store, because this is not something that is, I guess, widely discussed, you had to chart your own course. You had to figure out how to do this. And that's why I I wanted to have you on the show. It's kind of a bold idea. And I would agree with you that this seems like Elasticsearch has the properties that we want out of a database, generally speaking, as you know, if you think from from the point of view of a platform engineering team that's trying to provide a data platform for uh, flexible use cases for different application developers within the company to use, Maybe Elasticsearch is not perfect for every type of query, but it's pretty cool as a as a data platform to offer to your developers. It's obviously useful to the external application users. But in thinking through how to use Elasticsearch as the quote primary data store, what were the the challenges that confronted you? First, everyone warned us against against the update problem, like Elasticsearch doesn't have a good reputation reputation for standing against high frequency update rates. So like, what do I basically mean by that is, like most of the time people are using a read-only index to execute their, their queries on, and they just refresh that index a couple of times every day. But in our case, in the ETL layer, we would be hammering Elasticsearch with updates quite a lot. And time to time, it is in the order of millions per second. Of course, like Elasticsearch doesn't give you uh, consistency and uh, persistence guarantees of an RDBMS. That's totally a different ballpark figure. But Elasticsearch, I think if you configure it good enough and if you are aware of its shortcomings and like it has a couple of small, what I would call maybe like 
small swiss knife really small let me give a more concrete example for instance i'm really in love with the compare and swap operator that is provided by the elastic for instance once you insert a document it automatically gets a version so you can use that version for the next update and if you would think of java actually the entire java util collection atomic package is built on that CAS operator. So to be able to implement lock-free data structures, they leverage that compare and swap operators. And that is exactly what we have done in Elasticsearch. When we need to make an update, we fetch the document, we mutate it in the memory, and while writing it back, we tell Elasticsearch, please write it back if the version still matches. Otherwise, just trigger me a failure and I will retry that. So like that aspect of Elasticsearch, I think really paid off. On the other hand, we also hit to the wall of segmentation problem. We are still having issues with the Elasticsearch segmentation problem. Also, if you use nested fields a lot, that is known to be quite problematic with Elasticsearch again. What do I mean by nested fields is like basically list of objects. Um, I'm not really an expert on the scene, but to the best of my knowledge, querying over list of objects in Lucene is, I'm being told, like more or less like a hack. So it is not really one of the main strengths of Lucene. And I think this deficiency of Lucene is exposing itself in Elasticsearch as well. When you start using nested queries, you start to get quite some performance impact. And if you are trying to update nested fields, then it is doubling this performance impact. But fortunately, in the case of ETL, query latency is not much of a problem because we are not really querying the search engine like a search engine of an e-commerce website. So for instance, we are not even performing fuzzy search at all. We're just interested in if the field A equals to B or um, like really basic filtering options, if the field C is greater than one, those kind of simple predicates. And so far, Elasticsearch is doing fine. The first challenge that you articulated, if if I understand correctly, is updating the search index. So within a company like Bull.com, where you have thousands of employees, I believe, you might have operations people. And those operations people are working with internal applications to add new items or to modify items. So let's say there's a supplier that has a new kind of t-shirt and they want to add that t-shirt to the bowl.com product index. So the the person working, the internal um, application user within bowl.com is going to add that t-shirt and the different categories and the different colors and sizes that are associated with that t-shirt that make up the metadata and you want to be able to index that product within your Elasticsearch index. So if there's different people throughout the company that are adding these kinds of items or removing items or adding categories, like let's say they want to update an existing t-shirt, like they want to add the, the word cotton to it so it, it gets a new category, you need to be able to update your Elasticsearch index with these new items. You need to be able to update the categories on existing items. And this, I believe, brings us to to the problem of, of ETL. Can you explain what ETL is and, and how that applies to updating the Elasticsearch index? ETL is a common paradigm, is used in these kind of data pipelines, and it stands for Extract Transform Layer. 
And but I think you you get it pretty accurate. If a customer, let's first start with a basic example. If a customer changed one of the attributes of a certain product, it is not a big deal. It is just a single product update. But like the, there are some really bizarre changes that can propagate so big that it can cause the collapse of the entire system. I mean, collapse not in terms of not being totally function out of function, but really causing load on the system. For instance, recently, one of the problems we had was like they decided to change currency uh, currency rates, exchange rates pretty often in a single day. And in, his, in the search index, index, by the way, the prices doesn't need to be 100% accurate. Like this is, this is always the case because like the prices that you actually see on the web page is being populated in the last second. So let's say you go to search engine it returns you back 10 products and then you go to another search like another microsystem and tell can you give me like the most recent prices for those 10 products and then it returns you back so that's what you display to the user but it doesn't mean that the price that is stored on the search engine is really that much accurate but you still need to filter on the price so price still needs to be in the search engine somewhere and let's also assume the very same customer who changed the t-shirt of the color also have all all of her t-shirts in the currency of USD but in our website we are displaying them in euros so like we need to convert them to their euro rates and if there's like too often changes to those rates in a day it can cascade into millions of product changes every single hour then this also brings up the question like you also need to prioritize certain updates and maybe at time to time discard certain updates under heavy load and postpone them for i don't know for night or for tomorrow or for when there is room to do them so this like update volatility is quite painful and like as we also discussed in our previous question elasticsearch is not really good with those high update rates but yeah they happen and like, uh, also people tend to think at ball.com, it is just ball.com who is changing the content, but that is definitely a big no. We have gigantic integrations with like thousands of sellers and they have their own systems. And those systems are also streaming updates to us. So it is like a giant funnel coming through a stream into our ETL pipeline and you need to prioritize them. You need to transform them and you need to merge them into their final state and then you need to deliver that final etl state into the search indices so that is uh like i would say these subjects are really like the bottom part of the iceberg what many people tend to miss how rapidly is the content catalog within bowl.com changing and and how aggressively do you need to propagate those changes to the search index most of the time the category uh, three changes are happening in um, small amounts like like they are adding a small category or they are just splitting an existing category into two small subcategories because you also need to take the ux into account like maybe people are really accustomed to a certain category three display so you can't go with a big bang splitting a giant category into multiple categories or combining giant two categories into one category so they need to be like those kind of gigantic changes need to be aligned with the customer and also with the systems a recent example that i can also give um, i think last year sorry two years ago we announced uh, like a revamp of the toys shop that we had back then so it was touching like hundreds of thousands of products and then they they told us 
like they're about to release commercials on the TV and they need to come up with a new category tree. Then like we, we fix their agendas with them. So they say, uh, let's say like at this date before seven in the morning, we must have that category tree. So in those circumstances, we can create exceptions for the business. Like we can maybe prioritize those messages or we can stop the rest of the messages and just let the category three changes come in. But I would say 95% of the time, the changes are uh, like pretty small. Like they are moving gradually instead of going with big bangs. Tell me more about the data infrastructure that we need to think about here. So like, let's say somebody within the company makes a change to a product in the core database that is your, your product database. You're going to, so first of all, that's one database and then you need to you need to have some way of propagating that there is there has been a change to the core data model through the system and queuing up the search index to be changed and then you need to actually execute the change on that elastic search engine tell me about the different application components from the database that actually gets changed that that represents the the, the products to the middleware that's the kind of the queuing and processing pipeline and how that actually results in a change to the Elasticsearch index. I think that would make quite a story, which uh, I probably wouldn't be able to address exactly during this conversation, but I can give you a 2,000 feet overview. That's perfect. That's what so, we're, good, that's what we're yeah, good at on the podcast. All right, cool. But like my, my point is that it is not just two or three services involved in that. I think it's close to more than a dozen services which needs to coordinate and align for such changes. Like they are com- maybe some of them are communicating with uh, asynchronously with the queuing systems. Some of them are communicating directly. Some needs a feedback loop. Some doesn't. Some need certain delivery guarantees. Some doesn't. Some needs to be up all the time, like 24 per 7. Some doesn't necessarily need, need to be up all the time. So this like there are quite some actors in this game, but in a nutshell, like as you pointed out, uh, product catalog changes, like uh, they add a new attribute or they just introduce a new product or they add a new offering, selling offer to an existing product. And that ends up as a message in our ETL layer first. And in the ETL layer, we have what we call a configuration that is managed by our business people. As a basic example, like in, in a website, when you go into color facet on the left-hand side, you generally see main colors, red, blue, green, these kind of things, or maybe a mixture of them, red-blue. For instance, in the let, let's say you have a color which is named red-blue, but in the original attribute, you probably don't have a red-blue color. So maybe the original color of the product was red-blue-green. So in such a case then you need to take the configuration that's been done by the business into account. So the the business tells that for this attribute, when it has this value, I want to have a facet with this name and it needs to show this value. And we, in the ETL layer, we basically apply these transformations. And most of the time, the stream that I just described is the easy one. Like if, if there is a product change, it reaches to us, we look at the configuration, we apply those configurations. I think the tricky part in this entire flow is what if you have tens of thousands of configurations, which is the case at Bobuncom. So we also have sort of like our customized data structures 
to uh, speed up those lookups. Like let's say there are like ten thousands of rules, we and just the color attribute is changed. So you don't need you sh shouldn't be executing ten thousand rules. So you should just find find the ones which are interested in that attribute and execute them. So this is like I think one part of the coin. And the other part is, which I find the most daunting task, if someone makes a change to the configurations, that's like hell of a job. Like it's, it's really difficult to get it right. I try to explain this briefly in the blog post as well, but if I would uh, try to rephrase it, let's say in the past you said, if the language attribute of a product is English, I want this product to end up in the category of English books. But at some point, a smart guy might decide to say, hey, this is not really a good idea. We shouldn't have categories like English books and Dutch books. We should just have one category, which is called books. So he changes that configuration. So this creates a, like a rippling effect. Then you need to find all the products that used to match with the old rule. You need to roll back all their changes. And then you need to find all the products which are matching with the new rule. And then you need to execute the new rule on each of them. And like this can really result in almost the recreation of the entire index. So uh, yeah, this is the most challenging task we have been dealing with. For people who want more than the 2,000-foot view that you just provided they can read your article which is which is quite long and detailed can you say more about what you outline in your article what were you trying to present to the reader i think this like applying configurations to streaming data and retrospectively projecting back changes in the configuration like this is like two orthogonal tasks so and I think we managed to get this right. But we got this right because we have been trying to get this right for almost 20 years. So <laughs> uh, in a way, I can say I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. So I probably wouldn't be able to come up with the right solution. So like th th this, I think this is the gist of that blog post. And if you would really look at this problem in detail, then you would also be able to see where Elasticsearch shines like what I call by configuration, these are rules, right? Uh, like the, these are rules written by business people. They just say, when this attribute is equal to that, do this. The problem is while building, building the ETL layer, you don't have a control over that attributes. And like the products change over time as well. Maybe you have a subset of attributes today, but tomorrow some of them will be deprecated and new ones will be added. So like having such a whitelist is really a bad idea. And we passed that route and we weren't really satisfied with it. Then like this brings up a good opportunity for Elasticsearch when you don't really need to care about which fields are queried. And I think this is like, this is our main justification of using Elasticsearch for the ETL pipeline. You can query on any attribute that you want. And in addition to that, you can also use it for storage for simple find by ID retrieval. And like these are the crucial needs for an ETL pipeline, I think. And this is more or less what I try to cover in the blog post. Let's take a step back. So you worked on this rearchitecture, this Elasticsearch and ETL pipeline. What was accomplished because of your work? What can either users or internal application developers at bowl.com, what can they now do that they could not do before you went through this process? In the earlier days, when we didn't have this layer, 
what we used to do is if you would want to create a new category then you need to talk with the product owner of a scrum team he needs to look at his agenda talk with his developers how much time would it take to add this category would there be any impact in the rest of the ecosystem maybe there are some hard-coded dependencies on this category and so on but with this with this new layer first of all we have a configuration so it is like the central unit that defines how should the search look like so you don't need to have any hard-coded uh, configuration anymore in your code like if you want to have the latest category tree the service is there you just need to look it up and in addition to that in the previous etl pipeline it was a giant plsql mesh in a really in running in really beefy oracle database machines and let's first agree on something like even if it would have been written in COBOL, it doesn't mean that it is like it is in a state that it is not impossible to improve it. You could have still achieved everything that we have achieved with the old layer as well. Like you just need to be really good at PLSQL and you just need to move the world to integrate it with the rest of the ecosystem. But it's doable. It's not it's not something impossible. But with the new uh, another caveat of that system is it really required quite some technical knowledge into the system to make some change so i would say the like the, the new etl pipeline that we uh, came up with the design is like way more lighter in terms of code complexity and we are trying to avoid any kind of hard-coded configuration as much as possible so everything is totally configurable and most importantly it is real-time streaming maybe real-time is a big word but let's say eventually consistent so when you make a change to the configuration today depending on the like the radius of the impact like we are putting our best effort to reflect that as soon as possible into the search indices in the old system like as like uh, as i try to exemplify if you wanted to make a category change it was taking time to time weeks but today if you want to make a category change it's a matter of minutes if you want to add a new facet it's a matter of minutes if you want to change an existing facet it's again a matter of minutes so this is quite a win for the business and they have been longing for this feature for years well you can imagine the frustrations of <laughs> when i worked at amazon i saw a, a little bit of this this kind of thing where you have these different departments that if they need to coordinate on a minor change to product catalog, this can really slow things down. This can lead to hours or days of communication problems. And that's because it's a non-trivial problem. I mean, you have different geos and different types of users and, and different layers of legacy software. And it's just very complicated to scale an e-commerce application. And you know, even at 20 years, 20 years old, you're going to have these manual processes that are just a result of of the, the challenges of scaling an e-commerce application. And then you, you have no choice but to sort of say, okay, we've got this problem where literally updating a category on an item and reflecting that in the search engine is really hard. And it's going to take us a long time to refactor it and this sounds like a small problem to some people, but it's actually a gigantic problem operationally, and we need to invest the engineering resources to refactor it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, after an amount of time, it is not just engineers who get frustrated. Business as well get frustrated, and they start selling, tell me how much time and money it would take. Like, I'm ready to pay it. Like, I really need it now. Actually, I need it yesterday. So, like, let's do it. 
fortunately we were we weren't at that point but like this can come like this can happen this is this is not just my absolutely. imagination so it's absolutely yeah if you have a problem like this and it really starts to slow down the business this can it can spiral out of control and can really damage a business if you have a problem like this i think another aspect of running an e-commerce business like being in the software business in the domain of e-commerce is that like our product is not software right like we are not selling our software we are actually doing something else we are doing commerce so we are actually trying to sell products and we are using means of software to do this and there is a huge amount of room for improvement and innovation in the e-commerce but this is a little bit orthogonal when you think about like the software development itself as a matter of fact for instance we designed the new etl layer with the idea that facets are always on a product level like attributes are always on the product level like we always said to ourselves like a color attribute can always be applicable to a certain product but nowadays business is discussing can we have facets at the offer level so did you get what i mean so actually they want to have uh, like certain facets that are just enabled for certain product offers not for every product in a certain category so this i mean like i can implement search engine at bold.com till the end of my life and even if i'm 80 years old and if you knock my door and if you'd ask me hey Volkan, are you done i would probably tell you i'm not even halfway there so like because like there is such a huge room for business innovation this is also driving the software development to its extremes like this has its also its ups and downs like it is really exciting to work in such challenging problems on the other hand it's also really difficult to get the code quality right like test driven development like t- things you care about software as a developer doesn't necessarily need to be shared by the business people and these are time to time orthogonal things and like it, it might become difficult to get them aligned and put them on the same page but like yeah the, this is the way it is i suppose i want to ask you a question i'm i'm not sure you'll have an answer to but uh, i'll ask you nonetheless uh, so some of the people i talk to in the software engineering daily community they think about ways that they can invest in in various software trends and one of the you know the differentiated companies that went public recently is elastic and there's this i guess ongoing discussion over like oh aws has an elastic search offering and then elastic the company is built around elastic search you know some people will say oh clearly uh, amazon's service is going to be good enough but the elastic folks would probably say actually the problem of search is so hard, is so complicated, and there's so much room for product innovation and maybe machine learning applications built on top of it and better UX that we can still build an enormous company around just this domain. And AWS won't be able to compete with us because it's not existential for them. Do you have any perspective on search as a platform as a service or infrastructure as a service offering for different software companies that are focused on offering it? I think it might be really tempting for small and mid-sized companies because most of the time they don't really need to care about the operational costs of their medium-sized elastic search indices. 
But on the other hand, the impact of this on the open source, free and open source software ecosystem is really ambiguous at this stage. And I really don't think I have the right expertise to comment on it. But I would gently pass this question. Like it's, I think this is a really delicate yeah. question and it really needs to be addressed correctly. And I don't think I'm the right, right guy to say All a right. word on this. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Last question. Who else should be considering Elasticsearch as their, quote, primary data store? Or how should the software industry as a whole be rethinking using search engines as as core database infrastructure? I generally, for that purpose, use the metrics that I briefly des- describe. It is just like put your storage solutions on a table, right? Like, is it distributed? Is it sharded? And does it support uh, or does it require explicit indexing? Like this column needs to be indexed, that column needs to be indexed. And then you can also add an extra co- dimension to this matrix. Like what is the average size that this storage solution starts to shine? And then it all depends on the slow, uh, on the problem that you have at hand. But like, I'm really optimistic against, uh, optimistic with Elastic. I mean, it is... I already told you about it. Like I have a love and hated rela- relationship with Elastic. Like, like I like it so much. On the other hand, it has certain shortcomings that I hate it. But like, I-, I think it's a really viable product. It's a really solid product. Like people should start considering it as a primary data store as well. Like it was really unfortunate in the past, like a couple of years ago, of Elastic officially stated in their website, like, please don't use Elasticsearch as a primary data store. Yes, that happened. At some point in time, there was such a phrase in the official Elasticsearch website, and it was really unfortunate situation. Right now, no matter how much effort they put on improving their database, like no one is really taking them for seriously. But I would say, just like forget about my blog post or whatever other guy says. Just do your experiment. Like uh, you have already your problem. Uh, evaluate it against multiple storage solutions. Just put up a benchmark. See how do they perform. And also you need to take into account operational costs as well. For instance, some databases are really difficult to get it right operationally. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but like Cassandra is really difficult to operate if you want to have it in your own premises. But compared with that elastic search, you can get it right without breaking the sweat. Yeah, just just give it a try. I think it's a really feasible, solid option. Vulcan, thank you for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. Thanks so much uh, for having me, Jeff. It was my pleasure as well. Wow.